I'm Trevor Cummings, and these are my thoughts on money. Hello, and welcome to the Thoughts on Money podcast, what we like to call Tom. I am Trevor Cummings, your host of the podcast and your author of the Thoughts on Money blog, and I'm here with my good friend and colleague and someone I get to spend a lot of time with here at the Bonds Group, none other than Mr. Sean Latimer. So much time. Hello. So much time. <laughs> Happy to be here, though. Yeah, Sean likes to joke when people ask, like, hey, you and Trevor are really good friends. You spend a lot of time outside of work, and his answer is... I see him a lot at work, and we play basketball together, and we get lunch together, so normally weekends are consumed by family time. There you go. So you know we're not faking it. We're actually friends when we do these podcasts. Uh, so we were talking about before the podcast, uh, and I think some of the people listening can relate to this. Uh, if your spouse says, hey, let's go get dinner, you choose. And my wife, if you're listening to this, I do this too, so I'm not, I'm not blaming anybody specifically. But what usually happens, Sean, I say to you, hey, let's go get dinner, your choice. <laughs> and then you start to name a place. And then nope, get... not that place. And you get a look. Mm, nope, not, no, I don't, no, I don't no, want that. No, that doesn't sound good. And then you go, all right, well, where do you want to go? And they go, no, 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 I don't know. You pick. Yeah, so it's this little uh, cat and mouse game you play um, with uh, whoever your spouse is, who also happens to be your best friend. And uh, what I've noticed, though, is there's no way to win at that game because you say – actually, I know a way to win. I have a way. I have yeah. a way to <laughs> you, you name what you – know, you know what their favorites are? Or go ahead. No, no. I, it, I, I forgot where I saw this, but it totally worked. I go, oh, I know where you want to go. And then I don't say anything, and she'll say a place, and that's where we go. <laughs> <laughs> so that's a great plan. Uh, how I relate this back to finance is that we play the same little cat and mouse game, I think, with investors sometimes. And um, the way that I'm going to start out is usually an investor will come to you, Sean, and they'll say, hey, I know that it's impossible to time markets. So I would never do that. And then the next thing they're about to say is some sort of plan on how they're going to time, time the market. Exactly. It is interesting because uh, a lot of times people will – when they're doing their due diligence and they're asking questions, trying to find an advisor, they like that answer, uh, which is the truth that, you know, we wouldn't pretend to know what's going to happen. So we wouldn't try to time the markets. We, you know, we believe in our investment philosophy and we're committed to it. And they're like, yes, I agree. That's exactly what I'm looking for. But in the same breath, they'll wonder like, wait, wait, so we would be fully invested now or over the course of time or three years or, well, but what about the jobs report that's coming out next week? Show me, wait. <laughs> and, and you kind of have to like stop and say, wait, we We've already kind of talked about this. You know, there is no timing. Any any delay or changes, it's really just to make you feel better. Yeah, and there is, in finance culture, there's like an ongoing joke that's well known. Uh, I don't know if it would be a joke. You can tell me the best way to describe it. But you're really not supposed to say this time is different. Because that's right. usually like the – that if you let that come out of your mouth and you work in finance, like, but this time is different. Everybody looks at you and goes, up. Oh, uh, you made the cardinal sin. Yeah, uh, this time isn't different. Uh, why? Because what drives human, uh, what drives markets is human behavior. Uh, and if you know, I'm a, a Bible believing Christian, and uh, I can read two thousand years ago of how people are making decisions and what they're doing. And I'm going to tell you right now, human behavior doesn't change. No, it's true. And and ultimately, the market is a pricing mechanism of people making those decisions. And so if, if it was perfect, if it was just a quantitative system, then it could be figured out. But it can't be. So I, uh, I, I couldn't agree more. So if you're right now sitting in a place where you're ready to kind of implement some sort of financial plan, make an adjustment to your portfolio, and you feel like, wow, 
like the undercurrents of everything that's happening right now is making me really uncomfortable. That is how people have felt since the beginning of time. Um, I heard somebody say this on a podcast this week, and I really liked the way that they said this. They said that this is the most anticipated recession of all time. Uh, A lot of the time we call these things black swan events because they surprise us, right? If, Mm -hmm. If something negative happened in the world today, nobody's surprised. Because everybody's at the edge of their seat waiting for kind of that pin to drop or whatever it might be. Yeah, and I I think you write about this in your article, but people are waiting for that moment. And and I guess we'll just go down that path. So if we all would not be surprised and we're all kind of waiting for that large black swan event or that pullback, would you just wait in cash and deploy it then? I know the answer, but I I guess I'll put the question on you. Okay, well... Ask the question a little bit different because I want to understand what you're asking me. So I, I know that you're going to put uh, a comparison, right, of two different entry points in the oh, article. Oh, yes. Okay. And so I'm saying like, well, if we all know that something bad's coming eventually, that's probably the best way to say it, eventually. Could be a year, could be two years, could be three years. Wouldn't you just wait for it? That's a great question. So I would argue, and I don't know if this is where you're leading me, but I would argue that we don't know. And what I would argue is that for certain investments – you you have to walk into that investment with a defined time horizon. And there is this crazy obsession with entry points. Mm-hmm. And the problem is the crazy obsession with entry points, it is market timing. And, and if you want to find the best entry point, uh, you will drive yourself crazy because you probably won't. Uh, and if you do, it'll probably be more luck than skill. Uh, and if it's not, and you can do it consistently, please call me because yeah. we can start a really, really good business uh, <laughs> if you have that expertise. So the point is, is if we start with this truth that everybody starts with in their first tagline is saying, hey, I know you can't time markets. Well, then stop right there and, and then don't follow up with a decision on how you're going to time markets. Now, I want to talk about this podcast, but I'm going to give the mic back to you before we do on – on how you can solve for the psychological part, because I'm not downplaying that. I, I'm just saying if you've convinced yourself or you believe that this is the truth, that you can't time markets, then you can't make the very next sentence a strategy on how you're going to do so. Yeah. And, you know, you've talked about this in recent podcasts of, of, you know, March 2020, you know, having someone become a client and be fully invested, I think, in January, February, February. And and I think they were less experienced, right? Yes. So this was all kind of new to them. Yes. And then they opened their first statement. They're like, what is happening? Yes. Right? That, that's unfortunate and it's going to be uncomfortable for anyone, right? But I think the important part is if you are not expecting to own these investments for a long period of time, you shouldn't own stocks to begin with. And like you said, the time horizon is going to be the most important thing to consider when making the investment allocation. And I, I think that's just what you lead with. You have to you have to almost set the expectation that, hey, this could be the worst possible timing ever if we're looking at a 12-month window. But I don't believe that if we're looking at a 10- or 20-year window. And this is where the discussion becomes difficult. So I, I, somebody you know kind of came to me this week, and they were having a similar conversation. And, and they said, well, so you know, I'm going to give you money, Trevor, and you're just going to blindly invest it on a Tuesday? Uh, and just hope for the best. And my response is like, whoa, 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 hope's not a strategy. That isn't my intent. We look at history and we lean on history and the probabilities that are revealed from history. So if I take this amount of money 
and I've been told that the time horizon is X. Let's define it, 10 years, right? But then um, your feeling is that you're going to have a judgment on that investment one week later or one month later. That doesn't make sense. And it'd be very similar. I'm somebody who loves watching cooking shows. So Netflix just came out with uh, Iron Chef, a, a new series. And for me, the comparable there is you got those four judges sitting up front that are or three judges, and they're going to taste the food. And Iron Chef, it, like they only have so much time to cook the food. I, whatever they give them, sixty minutes. You know, could you imagine if one of those judges stood up at seven minutes into the contest? They said, "Hey, I want to try your main dish right now." That's silly. There's no way it, it hasn't lived up to the defined time horizon that you set at the beginning. So again, we will get into the psychological part on how I think you can solve for that. But hope is not a strategy. Um, us at the Bonsa Group are not doing things, closing our eyes and hoping for the best. Again, we've studied history. We're leaning on the probabilities that are revealed from history. And then we're setting up investments that match time horizons. I've been in a lot of conversations that have been led by Sean. And I know what he says. Somebody says, hey, I've got a wedding next year. Or I've got... Um, a home I'm going to purchase next year. Sean doesn't recommend a stock portfolio for those investments. He'll recommend a one-year treasury or something where you can define the value with some sort of rate of return. All of this comes back to time horizons, yet we're all extremely obsessed with entry points. You, Yes, that, what I was, that is what I was leading with my question. And yes, I do say that. And it's a lot easier now that interest rates are a little bit higher because uh, – then if you tell someone to park cash, at least they're getting 3% instead of a zero. Yeah. So, yeah, that is true. And uh, no, and you did answer my question because I really liked that analogy, the the cooking one. Maybe you should start with that one at the beginning because that was really good. Because well, I, I, I think I'm going to use that today. I'm going to say like, whoa, 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 the pizza's still in the oven. You want to taste it now? No, you got to wait. To me, it just makes a ton of sense because for anybody that's ever baked before, um, you know, I obviously I like to 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 lick the the batter um, before we put the the cake in there. Sometimes it can be pretty tasty, but I don't want that to be my whole meal. So if you put a cake in there and you take it out early and you try to take a, a quick bite or something, it's not going to taste like it should at the final uh, end point. And investing is no different. And I know listeners are probably like laughing, like, "Okay, I get it, silly analogy," but it is pretty true that I have seen times where people. They're upset about an allocation one month. They're happy with the allocation the next month. And and they're just, unfortunately, they they may be invested the wrong way because that you can't look at it on a week-by-week, month-by-month, or even a year-by-year basis. I mean, it's good at using it as a measuring stick, and it's used to make adjustments where needed. And if you're not uh, comfortable with the risk tolerance that was originally set, and it's moving more than you expected, then yes, adjustments should be made. But I I just... I can't stand the conversation of, hey, this was a bad week. What are we going to do? Or, hey, you know, there's bad news coming up in midterms. What are we going to do? I, I'm bad at answering that question because I'm probably not going to have a good answer. And that's why the great thing about finance is some truths that you come to, you can pick those truths up and you can apply them across multiple different financial questions. So sometimes we'll have people come to us and we've done podcasts and we've done articles on this on lump sum versus dollar cost averaging. You know, I got this large inheritance. What's better, Trevor? What's better, Sean? Should I take this million dollars inherited and invest it today? Or should I average it in over the next 12 months? There's not a better. 
just like in our last podcast we did on a, a drive to Northern California, whether you're going to take the coast or the five freeway, are you looking for speed? Or are you looking for beauty? So what's so great about unpacking that conversation of lump sum versus dollar cost average is I can juxtapose probabilities next to psychology, which that is all of finance wrapped in one conversation. And I'll do it right now. I can show you uh, a white paper with empirical evidence that would show that probabilities are in your favor for a lump sum investment. Now, why is that true? It's true because even if it's fractional, uh, markets are up more than they're down. And it has to be fractional, uh, right? Because just like Las Vegas, the, the house has to have a fractional advantage or they're not going to be in business. So that fractional advantage for markets is why we are long-term optimists. And we know that even if it's a 51% advantage to me as the investor uh, to lump sum, I know that advantage gets stronger and stronger the longer my time horizon is. What that isn't saying is that if you lump sum every time, that uh, it will never go down from that exact entry point. So now let's transition to the other side. Well, why would somebody invest, you know, 10% a month over 10 months? It's because it feels better. It feels better. It's because the psychology. Either way, even if markets go up, well, at least I'm partially invested. Your markets go right. down. Oh, I knew this was going to happen. And people feel foolish when you say that because they're like, well, I'm not, you know, psychological. I'm like a stud. I'm not a victim to those things. And it's like, it's okay. I am 100% okay with dollar cost averaging, and sometimes that will create a better outcome. Mm -hmm. The answer is it depends, but you also have to look, hey, are we going to lean on history and probabilities, or are we also going to lean on kind of your concerns and your behaviors? Again, hope is not a strategy. Both of those things are really looking into how markets work and how somebody behaves and operates. And I think both of those things need to be accounted for, which makes being a great financial advisor really difficult because you have to hold the tension between those two things, which are very different. Yeah, and I do have patience and empathy for it because especially if people have come into money and inheritance or they sold a business and they're not you know, used to the markets. But it is interesting when you know they, I get a question, sometimes I'll say, I'll, I'll tell them it's preference-driven. You know, It's going to be down to your preference. Like, well, what would you do? Well, I'd be fully invested. And then based off the reaction, I can kind of get the answer to my question because they may be like, oh, my gosh, I just can't. I don't I don't know. And I can just tell based off of your reaction, your preference is probably to average in. And that's OK. It's I don't think that fractional difference is going to make or break someone's financial plan. You So I find myself saying that same thing to clients so much these days. It's that. I, I, don't probably, want to call stole, it, I probably stole it from you. Yeah. That's why. <laughs> no, I, I don't want to call it a disclaimer, but I, I start at that point. Hey, I'm going to answer your question, but I want to show you two paths because the answer to this is not actually coming from Trevor. The answer to this is coming from your preference. So let me walk you down both of these paths, and then you tell me what intuitively feels more comfortable because neither of those paths are going to make or break your financial plan. Um, and what I really want is psychological comfort. Because I think when you have psychological comfort, there's a higher likelihood that you can stay the course. When you get outside of psychological comfort, right, and we'll bring it back to a poker analogy, when somebody gets outside of psychological comfort when they're playing Texas Hold'em, we call it being on tilt. Uh, and then they start to gamble. 
and to make decisions that aren't in uh, the lane they usually find themselves in. And that's why we can open an argument whether Texas Hold'em is luck or skill. Uh, And we know the answer to that. It's skill. Because if you look at the professional players and if the same ones get to the final table over and over again, uh, you know there's some skill involved. And what's the skill? They lean on probabilities and they try as much as they can to uh, get rid of any emotional decisions. Mm -hmm. Is investing any different? It is not. So when you when you go down the two paths and you kind of outline like, hey, based off your financial plan, this isn't going to make or break it. Either way, you're going to be okay. Do you do they ever get to the conclusion like it doesn't matter? Or I, I've gotten that question before. They're like, sir, are you saying it doesn't matter? And I've gotten it in two different ways. One, like a sign of a relief. They're like, oh, okay, I'm not going to mess this up by making the wrong decision. Or two, like almost an insult. Like, are you saying that I should just? do whatever kind of like you said just invest on a tuesday and and i feel i feel like it's like oh man i didn't do a good job handling this because this is going the wrong direction (laughs) you spot on there's an art so you got to figure out kind of how to navigate that and it's really difficult that's why a lot of times on this podcast uh i'm very vulnerable and i'm honest man i've had a lot of trouble having this discussion Mm -hmm. because there's so much of an art to being a financial advisor because you don't know when you get into this industry how important the psychology part is. And, you know, I have a lot of clients I talk to very often. And I, I had a conversation with one really recently, and he's like, I know the answer you're going to give me, but I'm going to give, I'm going to ask you anyway. And in part of that conversation, I go back, well, the reason I give you the same answer is because I'm drawing from this certain foundation of what I believe. Uh, and I'm using what I'm calling truths, right? I'm using those found foundational truths to kind of uh, define how I answer any of these questions. But I'm also going to be honest, if there's uh, a decision that needs to be made that I can confidently say is not going to make or break the plan, I am going to allow or lean in to saying, hey, Mr. or Mrs. Client, kind of tell me about what your preference is. Because here's the hard part. If you get somebody outside of their preference and then the outcome is something that they were fearing, well, then you're the person to blame for that. Yeah. And that is not healthy for them because there needs to be that strong trust in the relationship from the advice giver. So whoever's acting as that guide needs to um, have a longer leash when it comes to things uh, that you can choose that fork in the road. Because if you're really dogmatic, then you're almost operating like you know kind of what the future has in hand. And then when the future goes against them, then you become the person that gets blamed for that. I'm not articulating that perfectly, no, you're but you're saying, not in your head. So I, I think you're you, saying you're right. And and I think we have some advisors that listen to this too. But it, it is – you have to think about it that people don't formulate these opinions on their own, whether they read or they watch on you know, financial television, or they talk to friends or neighbors. And so they they probably get these opinions from their circle. And so if they read something from someone they trust, or they, they're obviously putting the time to talk to them or read about it, and it says something like, oh, it'd be foolish to be fully invested right now. Then they come to talk to Mr. Advisor Trevor, and he says, well, that's what I would do. And then they go against their, you know, their gut, and they say, all right, if you think so, sure. Then we see a huge correction. Then whatever they read or the person they're talking to at the gym or says, oh, my gosh, I can't believe they would do that. Everyone knew this was going to happen. And then they sit back and go, wow, I'm starting to lose confidence in Trevor, you know, and that 
that's unfortunate because it's it's like you said, trying to taste the meal when you're still making it. And we've written articles on shopping for a financial advisor. It's not an easy task. But my encouragement is you're not going to become an expert overnight. Uh, So you kind of have to lean into your gut and to really sniff out who's trustworthy and kind of where you should go with that. But once you find that trustworthy person, it's ideal if you can have a long-term relationship with that person and kind of continue. I'll touch on a few other points before we wrap the podcast up. One of the things I pointed out in a conversation this week where somebody's like, like, Trevor, really? You know, we keep calling it a Tuesday. Really, on, on this Tuesday, you want me to, to fully invest with, you know, this amount of money or you want me to start dollar cost averaging in. One of the places I went with that person, because I love this quote from Nassim Taleb, where he says, don't tell me your opinion, show me your portfolio. I told the person, hey, personally, I'm fully invested. I, I, I'll be transparent. I'll show you my portfolio. Also, we're a, a, a firm that manages nearly $4 billion of assets. We're fully invested. For the most part, right? We have yeah. cash and stuff, and we're looking at at opportunities. So if I felt so worried right now, I mean, wouldn't I react with my own portfolio and our clients' portfolios? Yeah, you'd, you'd be like, oh, all of our clients are invested, but I'm fully in cash. I'm waiting. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So the point that I'm trying to make is the person's not wrong that in the short term, something ugly could happen. But the focus is not the short term. The focus for the financial plan is the long term. And it takes us back to a famous quote from Benjamin Graham, the professor of Warren Buffett. He said, uh, in the short run, uh, markets are a voting machine. In the long run, they're a weighing machine. The point he's saying, uh, I could say it a different way, is your psychology will destroy you in the short run, right? It's voting. It's opinion. It will be harmful. In the long run, probabilities and uh, fundamentals and all those things matter. So understanding how markets perform on a year-by-year basis versus a decade-by-decade basis is a very important truth for an investor to digest and understand. Yeah, and I, as the, the listeners, I have empathy because I can understand where you're coming from. They're like, well, so I have to wait 10 years to see if you're right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, but at the end of the day, like Trevor said, you do your due diligence, you find an advisor that you trust, and you believe in the plan, you believe in the allocation. And if you agree with the investment philosophy – the that's what makes it all work because if you don't agree and you don't believe in those things you're not going to be able to stick with the plan for the future and that's why so we could make arguments and david has you wrote a book on it on how why he prefers dividend growth versus other strategies my preference for it it isn't even so much seeped in the history which i could go down that path but it's the psychology because it's a lot easier to have a dialogue to say, hey, things are ugly, Sean, but you're still getting a paycheck. Yeah. Does that make sense? So when you get paid along the way, sometimes it's a little bit easier to endure. So when we build a financial plan where a lot of it hinges back to uh, using the income generated from the portfolio to match the expenses, you can kind of go back to them and say, hey, the principal, the corpus, it's going to do, you know, it's going to look like a heart rate monitor yeah. up and down and crazy and cause you to go sideways. Where I want you to meditate on is the paycheck you're getting every month. And I'll show you your statement of where that comes from, the dividends and interest. Dividend growth investing is very good from a psychological standpoint. Definitely. If you're looking at a total return and you're getting almost half that from the income, it's a, it's a much smoother glide path. Yeah. And it, sometimes it's just teaching somebody where to put their focus, right? Like 
you're a baseball fan. I know very, very little about baseball. I know you're a coach. I'm guessing that there's something that those professional baseball players do to focus like, hey, how is the ball being released from the hand? Or, or finding, hey, where do I put my focal point? I'm not focusing on the first baseman or the third baseman or my hands on my bat. There's some focal point where I want to kind of be myopic and look straight at if I'm going to be a great batter. That is true. They Yeah, they look at the release point, which way the laces are spinning. They look at for it's kind of like poker too. They look for tells if pitchers you know hold his holds their glove closer when they do one pitch, puts their hands away in a different pitch. There's a lot, but they are ultra focused. Yeah, so that's our advice: is like, hey, it's difficult. You got to put your blinders on a little bit, right? Put your blinders to the headline news, to the friend coffee shop cop, coffee shop conversation, and really try to zoom in on this financial plan that was created. And then also zoom in, like what we called it. You know, we produce an investment allocation summary that we called like almost an investment policy statement light mm. uh, where we really highlight what those drawdowns are. Um, that way somebody knows how something's going to behave, how that heart rate monitor will look and the ups and downs. And, and then you're almost putting guardrails around that to kind of say, hey, this is where we're going to stay within. This is kind of our lane. But then you grab them by the shoulders and you rotate them to focus back on the dividends and interest that have been created and kind of how that uh, directly intersects with their financial plan. That's perfect. It's perfect, which means that's which where means Sean was. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so uh, the last little note I had here was that it's just so important to match your expectations to the time horizon of the investment. Sean really liked the cooking analogy with that. But but really, if you want to make it easy with your financial advisor and you don't want to become an expert in finance, when you have an investment that's getting added to your portfolio or something you own, just ask your advisor, what's the time horizon for that investment? I'll tell you right now, if it's a stock, the time horizon, you know, the cook time for that is really north of 10 years. Uh, and like Sean said, it is difficult to hear that and, and say, wait, I have to wait 10 years. That's not exactly what I'm saying. I, I'm saying that it will misbehave in the short run and you will, you should, you know, what we believe if you're doing fundamental analysis and looking at valuations, um, your investment should grow from that entry point. Uh, the longer you you hold it. Now, again, that's why we are kind of anti uh, some of these growth or momentum strategies where you're buying things at heavy valuations because sometimes those recovery periods, as we've talked about here before, Mm -hmm. you know, NASDAQ taking 15 years to recover, that is not something we really want to endure. So we are choosing investments that, uh, you know, have a little bit of a shorter cook time, but that cook time is never a week. It's never a month. It's never a year. Um, you're allowing that misbehavior in the short run, understanding that it gleans benefits for you in the long run. So at this point, we'll ask that you rate the podcast five stars or preferred. All comments are welcome. A great way, uh, which we've been getting a lot more emails than normal. Um, so you can reach us at T-O-M, that's T-O-M as in Tom, at thebondsgroup.com. You can address that to Sean or Trevor. Happy to answer any of your questions. Uh, your comments are welcome and also your ideas of things that we could discuss on this podcast that would be beneficial to you. Uh, and with that said, we'll be back next week with more of our Thoughts, Thoughts on, on Money. money. 
The Bonson Group is registered with Hightower Securities, LLC, member FINRA and SIPC, and with Hightower Advisors, LLC, a registered investment advisor with the SEC. Securities are offered through Hightower Securities, LLC. Advisory services are offered through Hightower Advisors, LLC. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities. No investment process is free of risk, and there is no guarantee that the investment process or the investment opportunities referenced herein will be profitable. Past performance is not indicative of current or future performance and is not a guarantee. The investment opportunities referenced herein may not be suitable for all investors. All data and information referenced herein are from sources believed to be reliable. Any opinions, news, research, analysis, prices, or other information contained in this research is provided as general market commentary. It does not constitute investment advice. The team and Hightower shall not in any way be liable for claims and make no expressed or implied representations or warranties as to the accuracy or completeness of the data and other information, or for statements or errors contained in or omissions from the obtained data and information referenced herein. The data and information are provided as of the date referenced. Such data and information are subject to change without notice. This podcast was created for informational purposes only. The opinions expressed are solely those of the team and do not represent those of Hightower Advisors, LLC, or any of its affiliates. Hightower Advisors do not provide tax or legal advice. This material was not intended or written to be used or presented to any entity as tax advice or tax information. Tax laws vary based on the client's individual circumstances and can change at any time without notice. Clients are urged to consult their tax or legal advisor before establishing a retirement plan.